today on the Tearsheet Podcast. With a very long time horizon and a lot of uncertainty, right? Equity investors and venture capital investors are risk, risk capital. But once you've de-risked part of your business and you're investing in repeatable growth and, and sales and marketing, um, it, it starts to feel very, very expensive. Uh, and as you get more and more successful, you end up diluting more and more of your, your, your business. And you, know, you wake up one day and realize that you don't actually own or control the company that you started. And that's really what we're trying to help, help entrepreneurs uh, avoid, or at least understand. This is Zach Miller, founder and editor at Tearsheet. I wanted to invite you to Tearsheet's latest event, the Day-to-Day Conference. A big theme on this program and in our reporting has been about how financial data is the underpinning of modern financial services. From data aggregation to using big data to comb through customer behavior, financial ecosystems are growing up around banks and fintechs through data aggregators. The Day-to-Day Conference brings together financial services, fintech, and vertical industries looking to create new financial products and services through leveraging customer data in their own firms and across the entire industry. We've got a great speaker lineup. Register today by going to our website and clicking on the Day-to-Day Conference button at the top right of your screen. Tearsheet's Day-to-Day 2021 Conference is sponsored by Pfizer, Plaid, MX, Finicity, and Argyle. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. Revenue-based financing is quickly becoming a popular route for businesses to tap into needed capital. Structured like a loan and not equity, new financing firms are using this new old type of financing to help all types of businesses to scale. ClearCo brands itself as the world's largest e-commerce investor. It's fresh off of closing its own $100 million equity round, including a $250 million debt facility. The company, which rebranded from ClearBank, has close to a $2 billion valuation and is sharing new data on how its proprietary AI is democratizing funding to female founders and people of color. ClearCo's co-founders, Michelle Romano and Andrew D'Souza, an entrepreneurial couple, join me to discuss their plans for this new round of funding and why ClearCo is well-positioned to fuel entrepreneurship outside of typical venture networks and regions. Here's my conversation with ClearCo's co-founders. So I'm Andrew D'Souza, co-founder and CEO of ClearCo. And I'm Michelle Romano, co-founder and president of ClearCo. And we help entrepreneurs and online e-commerce businesses raise capital for their business and figure out what to do with their capital without giving up equity. I like that value proposition. And obviously, ClearCo is is a new name. Um, Maybe we can use that as sort of a portal into talking about what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. We renamed the company to ClearCo a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we used to be called ClearBank. That was that's how we started. And you know, we can we can give you a little bit of the story of how we got how we how the journey of how we got here. I can give you my background. Michelle's background is a little bit more interesting than mine, so I'll go first. Um, I'm an engineer out of school. I spent a couple of years at McKinsey, and then I met a guy named Chamath in 2010, and uh, he convinced me to move out to Silicon Valley. And he was head of growth at Facebook at the time, and um, join a company that he was on the board of. And I'd say the first thing that I recognized when I moved out to San Francisco from Toronto, where I grew up, was how different the opportunities were for founders in that area compared to people back in Canada or Europe or anywhere else in the world who didn't have easier access to venture capital and all the benefits that came with venture capital. Yeah, you weren't um, in Kansas so anymore. Was not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, just realized that uh, having easy access to capital was was 
made made life so much easier for entrepreneurs and founders. Um, and a lot of my career was was focused on helping entrepreneurs that are outside of Silicon Valley uh, get access to those same benefits. And then met Michelle in 2014. And um, maybe you give give a bit of your story on on uh, you know how you came at it and where we where we got to. Yeah. So Andrew and I had exact opposite backgrounds. He had raised a ton of venture capital before. I had raised no venture capital before, but had been a serial entrepreneur. So had built five companies. One was early in the e-commerce space, now public in Canada. Uh, one was early in the AI space, sold that company to Groupon. But what was really interesting is when I was 28 years old, I was asked to join the cast of the Canadian version of the Shark Tank television series. So I, you know, I, I feel like I'm the runt of the litter. Like I'm the youngest and the poorest one on the show. And what I'm watching is all these founders come on the show and it's the seed stage. They all sound the same. It's like, Hey, I built this great e-commerce company. I remember the first one we did was wooden iPhone cases. And they're like, look, we're here to give up 5% of our company forever for a hundred grand. And when you asked almost all of those founders what they needed the capital for, it was always two things. It was, I need to go buy customer acquisition, which is Facebook and Google ads. And I need to go buy my inventory. And so I get home after filming one day and I'm like, Andrew, why are founders using the most expensive capital in the world, which is equity, to do something that is really repeatable and scalable? Like that was the whole magic of ad spend is, you know, if you put in a dollar, you got $3 out. And so we kind of put our heads together and I came back the next day on the show and I said, okay, I'm going to throw out a different deal type. Instead of giving you $100,000 and taking 5% of your company that I'll own forever, why don't I give you that same $100,000, but instead just take 5% of your revenue just until you pay me back my capital plus 6%. So for hundred grand, it was $106,000. People get confused because they think this is a loan, but this wasn't a loan. There was no personal guarantee or fixed payment timeline or compounding interest. This was just a rev share designed for ads or for inventory or any other repeatable expenses that, you know, software or e-commerce businesses had. And honestly, um, Zach, I, I never thought that this would become as big as it, it has. We've um, we've now invested that that became ClearBank, which became ClearCo. Mm -hmm. um, we've invested more than two billion dollars wow. into more than forty five hundred different companies, making us the largest e-commerce investor um, on the planet and in turn have helped you know, thousands of founders um, figure out how to, how to grow their business without having to do that incredibly time-consuming process of, of raising capital. I love that story. And, and was it a hard one to communicate to, um, to entrepreneurs in the beginning or how did, how did it resonate with them when you first started pitching it? You know, I think founders got it right away. Like they understood. And sometimes, you know, there's this thought that like equity is free, but as soon as you've gotten close to an exit and done the math, I mean, you know, you can pay your seed investors 350 times their money and yeah. they still own that piece of your company. Mm -hmm. And so our view is not that equity is bad. It's just that you should use that for, for true risk in your business. Yeah. I had, I had been burned by that a few times. Um, prior to starting uh, ClearCo, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been part of a, a few venture backed startups and um, helped them raise money. And I think one of the things you realize is you give up a lot of ownership. You also give up a lot of control of the business. And, um, and equity is a great tool if you're investing in things like R&D and product development and things with a very long time horizon and a lot of uncertainty, right? Equity investors and venture capital investors are risk risk capital. 
But once you've de-risked part of your business and you're investing in repeatable growth and, and sales and marketing, um, it, it starts to feel very, very expensive. Uh, and as you get more and more successful, you end up diluting more and more of your, give, your, your business. And you, know, you wake up one day and realize you don't actually own or control the company that you started. And that's really what we're trying to help, help mm-hmm. entrepreneurs uh, avoid or at least understand. And how did you get in front of entrepreneurs in the early days? And how do you get in front of them now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the early days, I mean, it was it was us talking about the product. I think mm-hmm. the first couple of entrepreneurs came from the show. Um, we do two things. We partner with a ton of folks in this system. And so if you are a VC or if you sell um, any sort of e-commerce software, you know, we have partnerships with um, with people like that. Like you think about a VC might see a thousand pitches a year and maybe write 10 checks. Um, so we get a lot of referrals from, from that. And then we look for our own great companies and reach out to them and, and explain the model. That makes a lot of sense. Can, can you, what was the 20 minute term sheet? Can and oh, yeah. that term come from? So the 20, it's, it's a great, uh, so, I mean, look, when you go fundraise for equity, this is a three mm-hmm. to six month process and it's grueling. And, you know, the way that, um, our platform works is that you connect us to the apps that run your business. And then in 20 minutes, we can show you how much capital we can give you in the terms of that capital, hence the 20 minute term sheet. And it was really to show the contrast between what it takes to do conventional equity fundraising um, and how fast we can move. And the craziest thing about the 20 minute term sheet that I don't think we expected is we were first aiming for speed. We're like, an entrepreneur's most valuable resource is their time. (laughs) And so the way we could do a 20 minute term sheet is we had to use data science and AI to do all of our, you know, assessment of how well these businesses were doing. And so it was really interesting because then we looked back at our portfolio years later and it looked very different than most venture capital portfolios. We had backed eight times more women than the venture capital industry average. We had backed founders in every state in America compared to 80% of venture dollars going into four states in America. And we, 30% of our founders were people of color. And so, you know, our interest in my belief always has been, if you have a great idea with great metrics, you know, limiting capital or getting capital shouldn't be limited to going to the right school or having the right parents or being in the right social circles. And that's effectively, you know, I don't think it was, it was intentional, but that's what VC became. It became, you know, the only way a VC will meet with you is if you get a warm email intro. So naturally you're just excluding people that didn't grow up in those circles. So I get that. And, you know, I guess equity investors are looking, you know, Many have strategy of follow on, you know, in, in investing. Do you, does, does ClearCoat, do you guys have that concept as well where you want to, you're growing alongside some of these companies that are, that you're funding? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we'll start a company as early as now, as early as, as their first few thousand dollars in revenue, and we'll grow with them. Our largest companies will do half a million, half a billion dollars in revenue, in $500 million in revenue this, this year. And we just continue to grow with them. So as they need more capital, and if they can find uses of funds that continue to drive growth. So if they're investing in marketing and it's continuing to work at higher and higher scale, or if they're investing in their inventory and they're getting, you know, sustainable and, and improving margins, we'll continue to fund those use cases. And so we've taken some companies where we've given them, you know, $10,000 to start and grown up to 10 million, um, you know, on a, on a, on a regular basis, we funded companies like Nectar Sleep, which, 
um, you know, is, is, has, has built a phenomenal business and the founder is still, you know, has, has been able to retain a lot of ownership and control in that business. Um, you know, public goods, um, a great business that started as a, as an Indiegogo uh, crowdfunding campaign. And, um, again, has, has built a, a great, great business. Um, and many of these companies, you know, they had a highly venture backed competitor that kind of blew up. Um, mm. right. If, if you think about, uh, you know, if you think about businesses like Casper and um, um, what was the brandless, brandless right? Like they, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, they, they took on a ton of venture capital. They grew sort of unsustainably. They actually didn't have positive unit economics um, and, and, you know, struggled at scale. Whereas Nectar and public goods really had a, had fantastic business, business economics. Um, we were able to fund them because we saw how how efficient they were with capital, um, and the founders maintained you know way more ownership and control of their business as they grew. Um, here's a, a maybe a oddball question, but have your own investors, meaning Clearco's uh, equity investors, um, have they pressured you at any point to actually make equity investments? Our investors haven't pressured us. Um, uh-huh. Some of our customers, some of our customers would love for us to be, uh, you know, on their on their cap tables, and we've we've considered. Look, I mean, I think the idea is we want to be able to do things that are scalable. Mm-hmm. We want to, you know, we want to be able to use technology and data science to make decisions. We don't want to introduce the bias and the human element because um, then we're just another VC. One of the things that we've done on that path has been, you know, we looked at our portfolio about a year ago and realized that, well, we had, we had, we'd funded close to 5,000 businesses. We've said no to, you know, 50,000 mm-hmm. um, because they were just too early or too small. And so, especially in the pandemic, when so many new e-commerce businesses and software businesses have been started, um, we, we realized that there was a way for us to create sort of an accelerator program, um, kind of our answer to, to Y Combinator. Um, and so we launched this program called Clear Angel, which allows us to fund businesses um, without a fixed fee. So we'll give a company up to twenty, you know, twenty-five thousand dollars, and we'll take two percent of revenue for four years. Um, so we don't take equity like a typical accelerator. Um, it's still a revenue share, but then we're we're working with them through this four-year program to help get their revenue, maybe from one or two thousand to you know hundreds of thousands in 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 monthly uh, recurring revenue. And that program is is a few months old, but uh, but is already showing great great success. And so that's sort of not exactly an equity investment, but mm-hmm. closer to um, you know much more shared upside. And what kind of resources do companies in that program get from you guys? Yeah, so we 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 work with them. Um, we bring sort of our entire network. So if you think about what an investor does, they bring capital, which you know many investors have. But then they also bring expertise and guidance, and they bring their network. And so we've built a network of um, experts in you know whether it's negotiating with your suppliers or you know advertising, ad optimization, finding new channels. Uh, going wholesale for wholesalers, going direct to consumer for for consumer businesses. So we bring sort of experts um, and and provide expert you know targeted introductions, and then um, and then we provide them sort of a playbook. So we say, look, for a company of your scale and of your size and your category, here are the next three things you should do, and we can we can work with them. We give them a coach. Uh, that works through the playbook. And on a weekly basis, they sort of have, okay, here's the next task. Here's the next task. And you sort of, you know, it's almost like a video game. You're like, okay, here's my next thing. And here's what I've got to go do uh, to get to the next level. And, um, you know, founders love the experience. A lot of these founders, especially, you know, in the middle of the country, don't have uh, an advisor or a friend who's gone through it before. So they're building it. It's a pretty lonely job. And, uh, and we've been able to help a number of people. Um, and we're excited about the potential of that program as well. 
And one of the things that, that interests me is you, you have such an interesting view into uh, unit economics for, for the companies in your portfolio. Um, is there currently or, or future thinking around providing um, in network level insights? Um, here's what's working you know, with, with Facebook um, for this type of product uh, and providing that type of feedback loop to them? Yeah, certainly we're doing that today. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we could see things last year, like at the beginning of COVID, Facebook ad prices were the lowest that they've been in probably the last three years. And so we were encouraging our founders to start spending on Facebook. But, mm -hmm. you know, as we got into holiday season last year, we were seeing that Facebook was declining. Google was actually converting a lot better. And then TikTok had really started to take off. And so we were giving those founders um, insights within their dashboard so we can show how how they're doing relative to you know very large benchmark sets so they can kind of see hey this is what i should be should be looking to do um and then we're trying to give them kind of some of these global insights that we're seeing by backing so many companies across the space because that's been like think of the difference right you have a vc and maybe they have 20 portfolio companies like they're not going to know which software to use and which agency to use and exactly what's trending on these platforms we can kind of use the power of all of our data to give our founders a real competitive advantage to win and is there interest to move into other types of spending management we just see so many of these companies popping up what do you mean by spend management? Um, well, I mean you're, you're helping you're helping your own portfolio companies deploy capital uh, yeah. with the intention of of getting return on that investment. Um, I guess expanding the pie in terms of what capital they're deploying, other types of spend. Oh yeah, and and sorry, I just I didn't quite understand. So you can use your capital for for anything. We just make our capital a lot cheaper if you spend it on inventory and marketing. And so we've been able to help um, you know founders choose different software tools that can be helpful for converting in their business. I've uh, never loved the concept of an app store. I find it overwhelming. I'm like, mm -hmm. I just want to know the one thing that I should be using. And I think founders feel that way. Uh, you know. The, the same way as well. Yeah, we try to be very, very personalized with our recommendations instead of it just being sort of global insights. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think people appreciate that. Um, this is what works for, you know, a pet food company that's doing, you know, million dollars in annual sales at this scale without, you know, on, on Amazon and direct consumer. Interesting. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, the personal relationship, the dynamic and uh, the decision to work together and how you navigate that. Um, can you talk to us about that? Yeah. Um, no, it was it was a it was a high risk move um, for sure. <laughs> we had we had, uh, we had high just risk started, high return, right? Yeah, exactly. We had we had not been dating that long. We'd known each other for a while. Um, I had moved back uh, from San Francisco to Toronto maybe a year before, and um, you know we just started dating. And you know, one of uh, I had a, my, my previous company. We we basically had a board board meeting that blew up and. Uh, and our board members wanted to take the company in a different direction. So I came back to Michelle and I was like, what do we, you know, what should we do? And she said, we're going to start a company. I did. Um, and we were thinking about what, you know, we both. And thought I was crazy, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was a little terrified. Um, but Michelle was the best entrepreneur I knew. And so, um, you know, it, it seemed like, it seemed like she, it was a good idea at the time. Um, we were both really passionate about entrepreneurship. We thought about, do we want to start our own venture fund? Sort of realized that the world didn't need another venture fund. We wanted to be able to do this at scale. And, you know, Michelle seeing all these entrepreneurs and founders on, on Dragon's Den was a really, you know, eye-opening um, that there, there might have been a better way to, to help them. How do you navigate, um, I guess, 
work domain and private domain, like, is it blurred? Are there times where you ha- like you have to take timeouts? Are you working all the time? Like, how, how do you, how does that impact the relationship? Um, when you're a founder, this is a beyond full-time job. There are very little boundaries you can set. There are very little moments where you could not work, but instead of thinking about that, which I think is the reality for almost every founder, I think we've chosen to like see the incredible advantages of that. And so one of the great advantages of working with your partner is that you're on the same schedule. So that actually means you're stressed at the same times and you're not stressed at the same times. And so, you know, exponential stress. Yeah. Yeah. If you're at dinner together and something's blowing up, you have a lot of empathy because you're like, well, I'm going to respond to that email. And if you do it, I would really appreciate that. Um, And so I think that that's, you know, Andrew and I are are pretty good. I mean, if there's nothing blowing up at work, we're pretty, we're pretty calm. We can go a whole weekend or a week without, if we're on vacation without, you know, spending a lot of time talking about work. Um, And I think that, that we love um, what we do in our team and just the founders we've been able to support. Like, it does feel like, you know, people are like, well, what would you do if you, weren't running this company and I was like we would restart this company <laughs> like it's just, it's a very I think that there are so many incredible ideas that don't really get to see the light of day and don't really get to see scale because capital is the thing that's holding those founders back because capital has just been forever limited for the the people that knew the folks with capital. And so 2000 years ago, that was knowing the king. And then your projects got built and your roads got built. And today uh, that network effectively still exists. And so, you know, I think that, um, that we found a lot of just excitement in doing that, but look, yeah. it isn't, it isn't easy. I would never say it's easy, but I mean, Andrew's just an extraordinary founder. And so it's been, it's been pretty fun to, to learn and to grow together. The first, the first two years of the company, um, we either lived with our employees or, or they would come to our condo. Yeah. Uh, we got up to about 12 people that would show up every day and we'd buy the security, uh, security desk at coffee and a bunch of donuts. And then eventually our neighbors started complaining uh, and we had to get an office, but, uh, those were, those were great times. Um, you know, we love spending time. We still do, you know, retreats frequently with our, with our team. Uh, we haven't been able to in the pandemic, obviously, but, um, we used to do that and we'd spend time together and, and just sort of, um, yeah, there's there, the brainstorming that happens and the creativity that happens um, when you let when you kind of let those boundaries expand a little um, is I mean, it's what we love. So it doesn't feel like a burden um, when when you sort of let your work spill over into your personal life. Mm. I appreciate the the, the personal flair uh, and and sharing there. Uh, in the remaining time, we have we have time for one last question. Um, I'm curious how you guys are thinking about the future. So fresh off of a, a, an equity raise for you guys, you've rebranded the company, removed bank uh, from the name. Uh, how are you thinking about the future? Like what's 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 top of mind for you guys moving into the rest of 2021? Yeah, a big part of the reason why we we remove bank from the name is I think a lot of people think of their bank as, you know, they have a transactional relationship. You go to your bank when you need money or when you need something. Um, it's solely capital. Yeah, but you don't think of them as a partner. And, and we really want to be a, a long-term partner for the founders that we back. So capital is, is part of the equation. But one of the things we're realizing is, you know, as, a, as we talked about a little bit earlier, because we've now seen so many businesses and we see what works and what doesn't work, founders have been coming to us asking for us for like, Hey, this is great, but what, what do I do with the capital? Right. How do I grow my business? Can I grow my business? You know? Um, and so we're really, you know, the next focus of the company is, can we use that data and insights to really be 
sort of an advisor or board member um, without the, the strings attached of a board member, but just, a, you know, a sounding board to say, here's what you can do next. Here's how we can coach you to, 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 to improve your business. Um, we want to be in your corner. We want to fight for you. And, uh, and we want to be able to use technology to do that at, at massive scale and to do it globally. And so the other, you know, the other big investment we're making is, um, you know, as hard as it is for founders in the U S and, you know, in the Western world to access capital, Everywhere else in the world is an order of magnitude harder. Um, the banks are more conservative. There's not as much venture capital, and so you know you've got to you know places like India, you've got to you've you've got to take a personal guarantee if you raise venture capital. So if your business fails, they take your family's home, um, and so things like that. You know, like there's just so many sort of backward. Um, you know, this, the odds, the cards are so stacked against founders around the world that uh, we think there's a really important, important work for us to do going global. And that'll be a big part of, um, of this investment round. Michelle, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast. Wonderful to be here. Thank you Thanks, for having Zach. us.